Week one of the NFL season is here and week two of the Green Bay Packers. Week one, pardon me. Oh my God, it's absolute chaos. We just got off the mega show. It's week one for the Packers. It's like week seven for us. We're still not at our best. Brendan Drozinski, Matt Freilich, we are getting ready for week one. Packers versus Vikings. We'll take a look at the offensive line health. We're going to take a look at the wide receiver group. We'll preview the Vikings and get to so much more, including significant to some. Let's get to the week one edition of the Final Dump. <laughs> News dump. News dump. Yay! News dump. I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. It's a grand fly! It's the final dump, presented by Game On Wisconsin. And welcome to week one of the Green Bay Packers season and welcome to the final dump. Brendan Dworzynski and Matt Fralick here with you. What a show we've got coming your way today. We've got a real game, a meaningful impacting a championship campaign kind of game coming up on Sunday. It'll be America's Game of the Week on Fox as the Packers take on the Minnesota Vikings. We have so much to break down with this contest. Matt, we'll get to the rundown here in a second, but A, one, hope you were able to catch your breath there because we just jumped off the game on Wisconsin Mega Show. Shout out to Jacob, shout out to Alex. Awesome stuff from the guys all night and the rest of the game on Wisconsin crew. Quick turnaround to the final dump, but man, it feels good to have real football back this week. Man, it's it's just a it's like a dose of like B12. Like you're just like going into the week, short week, you know, got the three-day weekend, at least for most people. I, I did, so you know, humble brag. You get in, you get two solid days of work. And I'm talking Tuesday through Wednesday night, you grind. You're you're in there. You're in, you're getting it done, you're staying late, you're showing up early, you know, you're maybe getting the you know, a pair of keys from the janitor. You're showing up on, you know, you're shutting it down for him. But come Thursday, like you damn is you're damn sure gonna be looking at the lines for the weekend. We got college football stuff. You gotta get your fantasy team right. Maybe you gotta maybe you got someone playing on Thursday night football. Plus, you gotta settle on Thursday night football. Kind of maybe skirt out early, 4:30, 4:45, hit up, I don't know, Raisin Canes, quick trip, culvers, get a little snack in you because it's a Thursday night, and we're just gonna pivot right into the weekend with some absolutely great football lined up. Could eat both cans and Culver's and just feel like garbage for six days, which honestly I might do. That might be the plan for for Thursday night. But we've got so much to get to on the show today. We're going to talk about the wide receiver room and apparently some mysterious injuries, both on the line and at wide receiver. We're going to talk about the defense. I think there's a lot to get to with that group, especially with a tough test in a new-look Minnesota offense. We'll talk about the Vikings a little bit and what to expect out of them. Any concerns you might have with some, uh, some PTSD from the 2021 season? And of course, we will get to our first actual game lines insignificant to some. We will do the spread and the total, the over-under for this game in week one. We cannot wait for that coming up to close up the show. But first things first, Matt, let's get to a little status report on the offensive line. And I think we're in an interesting spot. We've talked about this group so much. You know, what is the best five going to be? Is Bakhtiari going to be able to go week one or two or three or four? Will Big E be able to go one or two or three or four whenever they are able to get out there on the field well we did get a little bit of an indication of where some of these most talented offensive linemen are on Monday this from who else but coach Matt LaFleur saying the hope is that Bach was able to do some team drills on Monday at practice 
Only talked about David Bakhtiari, though, and would address, yeah, we're going to get him in some team drills. Didn't have anything to say about Elton Jenkins. I'm not sure what to read into that. Does that mean that they're on a similar level? Does that mean that Big E is behind Bakhtiari, even though it seems like he's been practicing a little bit more? We also had the report on Monday evening, or at least late afternoon, from Rob Domovsky of ESPN, that, hey, Bakhtiari says he's looking like he's shooting for week one. Now, Bakhtiari said, hey, temper your expectations. He used a gif of the Joker from The Dark Knight. Always an A-plus move on the Twitter machine. I don't know exactly what to expect for week one. At this point, I'm assuming he'll be back for one of the first two games. I would not hate to have him back at some point, at least so he gets a week of prep before taking on Tampa Bay in week three. Where do you stand on this latest status report on the offensive line? I think it's encouraging for sure that Bach is clearly getting closer. He's doing team drills. He's doing a little bit more. No news on Elton Jenkins, though, a little bit concerning. Yeah, I think it's kind of, for me, at least what I expected. If Because Bakhtiari had the injury so long ago in contrast to Elton Jenkins. I, I thought Elton, there was a glimmer of hope he might be ready for week one. But I, I just didn't really put, you know, too much weight into that. I think if Bakhtiari doesn't go week one, I'm going to be absolutely shocked because I think they've just gone so gradual with this and he's been gearing up for a couple weeks from doing, you know, individual drills to getting in teamwork to, you know, just ex- it, every single rep is getting more and more. It's really, I haven't seen a ton of regression. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very optimistic that he's going to play um, on Sunday afternoon because I just think they need him out there versus the Vikings. I think that pass rush plays extremely well in inside um in u.s bank stadium and i just i I don't know what to expect from elton at this point i don't know when to expect him back but i i think i think dave's i think he's a go on sunday i really really do getting at least one of those guys back is so huge because you know i've said it over the last couple of shows i'm really excited about zach tom i think what he showed in the preseason is very encouraging he had a good camp as well and and it's not just me it's not just us matt i mean people all over the football internet have been talking about him pff's been all over him we spoke about that on last week's program i would feel more comfortable with him not having to play nearly as big of a role in week one as a rookie though and i think that's a fair thing to say and you feel a lot better if you can throw either one of Bakhtiari or Elton Jenkins in there at either left or right tackle. And then you can play mix and match with the other tackle spot and, and with the guards as opposed to, all right, well, we've got Yash Nyman who is okay. He, he's an elite swing tackle, which equates to an okay regular starting tackle, right? I mean, that's essentially what Nyman is. And that's a very valuable thing to have, but also we already have seen him for the majority of an entire NFL season. I don't know that we necessarily are hoping to see that again. And then, okay, hey, rookie Zach Tom, welcome to the NFL. You get to face a guy in Zedaria Smith who has an ax to grind against our team. Best of luck to you. I would feel a lot more comfortable if you could say, all right, well, no, we still have the option to play Tom on the inside. We can have him at right guard and just Nyman out there at right tackle, or we can do some mixing and matching with Newman and with Runyon and with Hanson as well if, for whatever reason, the Packers really want to get him out there. It's just a level of comfort, and I think that's the word I keep coming back to, is that if you have even one of these guys, you're feeling more comfortable because you're not spreading yourself nearly as thin. You know, if you have to rely on a couple of Newman or Hanson or or Runyon, although I I have plenty of faith in Runyon, if you only have to rely on one or two of those guys, you're feeling, okay, no, we can make that work. There's enough pieces around there. We can make that work. If you say, hey, we need all of those guys out, including Yash Nyman, all on the field at the same time right off the rip, 
there's a little more level of consternation. Plus, there's the fact that you know we, we've kind of glossed over Josh Myers, and not just we on the final dump, but just Packers chat in general. Do we know that Josh Myers is going to be really good, especially right away? I mean, I, I think he's going to be a good player. I, I like the draft pick last year. I like what we saw from him when he was healthy last year. But do we know that he is going to be good or great right away? It might take some time for this group to gel. So, again, as much as I'm encouraged by the Bakhtiari news, it's still, to me, sort of a I'll believe it when I see it sort of situation, and I will be able to exhale and say, okay, this line still has some problems, still has some concerns, but I'm getting there to feeling a higher level of comfort. That's fair. That's totally reasonable. I don't. I'm not. I'm not against that opinion because we haven't really fully seen it yet I just at the end of the day like man I I like Zach Tom a lot and I think he's to get great to get in there that again I can't I hope he gets reps I would I would it would be cool to see if he's in the starting five we talked about that last week Josh Myers though that's an interesting one to bring up because like there was a lot of conversation over this offseason I remember hearing like hey is he injury prone this and that like Going back to high school he really wasn't that injury prone ever like it wasn't a thing and I think he just got maybe a little bit of the injury bug um, joining the Green Bay Packers, and I hope he's able to you know shake that off in the 2022 campaign because I think he's a really important piece. He was, I mean, super solid. I thought in week one or the first you know couple games he was in last year until he got banged up um, with the knee and the hand. Like I, I'm, I'm or the wrist, whatever it was. Like I'm pretty confident he's going to be able to hold it down there. But if another injury comes up, it's like man, is this guy snake bitten? And then where does that leave them? Because they don't have a Lucas Patrick anymore. Jake Hansen's been getting more reps at right guard than I've heard of than at center. So, like, where does that leave this offensive line without a formidable center at this point? But um, it's definitely a, a concern, too, because at that point, then, like, you're really not playing with your best five. It's your best eight, maybe your best nine, just based off of where you have to shift guys around because it's not even your best eight because not everyone can play center in, you know, a, a perfect world they could be and be even more versatile than they already are on that line. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's it's a decent concern. Just the, the overall health of the offensive line, where does it stand in six days? Our guy Dan on the Game on Wisconsin Twitter chimes in and says that Myers has been one of the more stable players in the offseason, which means not much to talk about. And I want to make it clear, again, I like Josh Myers. I think he's going to be a good player. I'm not necessarily saying I doubt that he is going to be good. I think it's just something that's worth asking because he didn't play a ton as a rookie. He did play some, and I think he played well when he was in there. And I think we saw some flashes in the preseason. Again, good camp, all that. I just think it's something that's worth at least bringing up that, hey, maybe it's something else to consider when a lot of pieces are going to be moving in and out, and we know how important continuity is on the offensive line. Overall, good news that David Bakhtiari is closer. Whether it's week one or not, I don't know. To me, it's starting to feel more like it's going to be within the first two weeks, at worst, maybe the first three. But again, I'd I'd love to get at least some reps for Bakhtiari in live game action before that game against Tampa. The other injury situation, Matt, that popped up and hasn't really been talked about a whole lot, but has, I think, been bandied about more on Monday this week, is Alan Lazard. And the fact that he was the one guy who wasn't actually doing any practicing on Monday, the first practice of game week. This, uh, again, from Matt Schneiderman of The Athletic today, or on Monday, saying uh, Lazard's the only player not practicing. He was moving nicely uh, on the running rehab that he did. We don't know what the injury is. Packers don't have to say until Wednesday. He also threw in, and it's covered up by our screen, that Dallin Levitt's still in a non-contact jersey for whatever that's worth. 
What's your level of worry with Lazard in particular first? Let's start there because we'll get to the wide receiver group as a whole in a moment, which could look weird. And, And as much as I think that the wide receivers are going to be okay because they've got a Hall of Fame quarterback throwing to them, the personnel grouping could be very weird in week one if Lazard's not able to go. So before we get there, Alan Lazard himself, number 13, are you worried at all about this? I know our guy Zach Jacobson said on Twitter, hey, I'm not worried until he gives me a reason to be worried. Do you have that same kind of perspective? Yeah, I I, I feel like Lazard isn't really one to get tweaked all, all that often. I think it's more uh, probably precautionary based off what Schneidman was able to see. Like he was getting through drills pretty easily in the running rehab. I think too, I mean, if he can't go, which I think he, I definitely think he, I'm very optimistic he will be. It's a big piece of that offense, the way he run blocks, the way he can get on the edge and those RPOs and kind of those bubble screens. So I think that'll be a, a it'll definitely take some a page or two out of the uh, playbook for Lafleur, but I'm not overly concerned at all. Uh, Alex Strofe did us that that the yeah the game before we hopped on here one to ten your level of concern. I'll say like a two or a three. I'm not that concerned. I think there is some more you know, issue. Maybe there was a tweak and it takes him you know a week and a half to come back. I mean it's a you know, high ankle sprain, something crazy where it's, but at the end of the day, I think he's going to be fine. I'm, I'm not too worried. That's encouraging. And I'm glad to hear that you feel that way. Cause I, I'm, I don't know what to think. Part of me is it's going to be fine. It's a day one of practice injury. We're not even to the injury report yet. He might be totally fine to go on Tuesday. By the time you listen to this podcast on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from, you might already say, well, hold on a minute. You practice today. Who cares? And if that's the case, Totally fine. <laughs> and I don't want to get too wrapped up in, well, Bakhtiari, like he is injury, you know, whatever, whatever. I, I don't want to get too wrapped up in that. I don't want to be too Homer over-concerned fan, but also, I mean, that's kind of the, the point of this whole thing, right, is to get emotionally invested in it. So I'm not worried per se. I'd say I'm still in a wait-and-see situation. But if we get to Tuesday and, hey, he still wasn't out there, all right, that's not great. If we get to Wednesday and he shows up on the injury report, either as a DNP or as limited throughout the rest of the week, then I'm going to have some level of concern. And that takes us into what I wanted to ask about, Matt, and that's the entire wide receiver group. If Alan Lazard can't go and Christian Watson, it sounds like his situation is still up in the air. I'm optimistic he is able to get out there. Let's say he can't because he missed so much time in the preseason and he's still just not quite ready to go. Your three top receivers in this game would be Romeo Dobbs, our guy, Randall Cobb, who was effective when he played last year, albeit he's he's older and he's limited to this point, and then Sammy Watkins. Let me tell you something about <laughs> Sammy Watkins. I don't trust him as far as I can throw him, okay? Because I know he had a couple of good games on national TV with the Chiefs. He had a great postseason run in the 2019 season that helped them get to the Super Bowl, burned Richard Sherman on a play. Awesome. Great stuff for, for Sammy Watkins. He had one regular season game that year that was worth a damn. And he had barely any of those games in the last three seasons between the Chiefs and the Ravens. I just... I don't trust him. I didn't love that signing in the first place. I know that's water under the bridge. No one cares what I thought about something four months ago at this point. I get that. That group to me is is concerning, unless you want to tell me that wide receiver one on Sunday is actually Aaron Jones. Because I already sort of think, and I've been saying this as a bit, that he's wide receiver one already. But if you say, hey, he's effectively going to be a wide receiver in this game, he's effectively going to be a second slot next to Randall Cobb and, and I guess Amari Rogers, I might feel a little bit better. But I... 
I don't love that group. That group to me does elicit at least a little bit more, or I guess I should say a little bit higher level of concern. What a ca- what a cast of characters, honestly. Like a journey, uh, almost a journeyman, Sammy Watkins at this point. I think he's oh for sure just stepping into that category, if not already in there. Three you know, teams the Bill- in three years now, right? Like the Bills traded up so much to get him at that point, and never would I have thought he'd be on the Packers at this. Like you would assume he would. Have, he was an athletic freak at Clemson, and you thought that would have continued over because most of the Clemson receivers that come out are pretty damn good, especially when the top end ones. And then you look at like Randall Cobb the absolute just vet OG, one of the best players in like the Packers probably fandom history in the last 15 years, just like a cult following between Randall and then Romeo Dobbs, you know, fan of game on Wisconsin coming out with a Lombardi's bar interview, I believe tomorrow or later this week. So, I mean, just a cast of characters, like never in a million years, if you would have ended, ended in February and been like, who's this Packers starting receivers in week one of 2022 of those, those three, like, you might not have picked any of those guys like Randall Cobb, like shit. You might have thought he retired. Like obviously the other two, like wouldn't have made sense. So, um, I mean, if that's the case, like you mentioned Amari Rogers and that's, that's effective. That's interesting to see what, what that's, that's a guy that I'm completely baffled of what they're going to do with the offense with him, because having him back in the, in the uh, next to Rogers or whoever the quarterback was like in the shotgun and him being a running back is wild behavior. Like that's, that stuff like like Dusty Evely like dreams of like Dusty's con- conjuring up some sort of crazy witch brood just like where Amari Rogers could be lined up in the in the backfield but yeah the receiving core would be quite strange if Watson and Lazard can't go because those are big bodies those are big bodies that need to be able to block and that affects the run game. You bring this up and this is as good of a time as any to to mention this. This is our first show since the fifty three came out. Uh, I was wrong. I always say that if I'm wrong and it benefits the Packers, I don't care. And that's a good thing. Uh, Boy, was I wrong in trying to go after a certain beat writer from the Green Bay Press Gazette about only keeping two running backs. And uh, well, I guess that's the case. Tyler Goodson Uh doesn't make the 53. He's on the practice squad. Patrick Taylor doesn't make the 53. Apparently it's Jones Dillon and Amari Rogers. So I I guess I will happily hold the L. Well, let, let me take that back. If it works out and the offense is humming, I will happily say, all right, that's an L. If it doesn't work out, I'm going to say I should have been right in the first place. Also, this is tangential to say the least, but our, our guy, Alex Strofe, uh also mentions Amari Rogers, Sammy Watkins, two Clemson wide receivers, one has to hit. This this is not NFL-related as much as it's college football-related. I hate Clemson. I hate their orange. I hate orange and purple together. It looks gross. I hate Clemson. I'm a South Carolina Gamecocks fan outside of my beloved Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, gross. Hate Clemson. I saw Amari Rogers tweeting about Clemson earlier. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon responded and told him Clem sucks. Yes, that is 100% correct. Uh, <laughs> rock out with your Gamecock out. Anyway, that is beside the point. That group is, again, I, I guess for me, my internal battle, Matt, is – do you trust the quarterback to get it done with whoever is out there? And the closest we've seen to that is the Arizona game last year, right? I mean, you didn't have Devontae Adams. Your, your wide receiver core was super torn up, and you got a lot of crazy stuff out of Matt LaFleur, and you got Aaron Rodgers not being his best, as, you know, as good as he was at any other point necessarily last season or a high point necessarily, but he was still good enough. They got the win. They got lucky, but they got the win. If you can scrounge that together until – everybody is healthy and everybody being Lazard and also Watson. Um, I hope Tunyon's able to go. I, I guess I haven't seen for sure that he's going to be able to go, but um, if, if he isn't 
at his best week one, I guess that's what I'm getting at here. If he's not a full go week one, like he's able to play, but he's more decoy than he is deep threat like he's been in the past. Once all those guys come together, I'm going to have my concerns assuaged a little bit. But, man, starting wide receiver Sammy Watkins in the year 2022, I – that sucks, man. Like, I don't, I don't love that. That That's not a good feeling. If this is his one game, though, if he has to start and this is the one game where he still looks like an NFL player, then, again, I will happily be wrong. I just have my doubts we're going to get many more of those games from Sammy going forward. I agree. I totally agree with you. That's It's it's unlikely that neither of those guys would start that we've mentioned, but there's a chance where just as getting through the week, they start maybe going a little bit harder and gearing up for a game and it just doesn't go the way they want. Let's get to the other side of the ball here, because I think defensively, that is where most people, whether you look at national folks, you look at Packers folks say, oh, yeah, the defense is going to be great. You know, Offense will figure it out because I've got Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. The defense, though, look at this talent. This is the most talented defensive roster the Packers have had in so long, et cetera, et cetera. Depth, obviously a concern. We talked about that on the game on Wisconsin Super Show as well. My question, though, is how quickly do they gel together? And I think. This isn't necessarily a gotcha kind of question, like, oh, they've got this talent, but hold on, they might not all click together. I think that is more of a discussion when you talk about the offensive line like we were earlier with pieces moving in and out and guys coming back from injury. You've got legitimate questions about how quickly they are able to gel and be their best, even when Bakhtiar and Jenkins come back. Maybe it'll take a week or two for them to be the best version of the best five out there. I think it's a different sort of approach, though, for the defense because you do have all that top-end talent all across the defensive board. I mean, you've got elite corners, a truly great cornerback group in Rasul Douglas, Eric Stokes, J.R. Alexander, who's one of the two or three best corners in the entire NFL. And Stokes, honestly, is one of your few best number two corners in the league based on what he did as a rookie. Love the safety. Well, I like the safety group. I love Adrian Amos. I think Darnell Savage, he's got a chance to have another big year. I mean, he's got enough pieces around him. He, at the very least, should be hidden if he does show any deficiencies. Linebacker is far better. Obviously, we know Campbell's an all-pro. Quay Walker, we all love the draft pick. You were talking about it earlier on the Super Show as well, the kind of alien that Walker is out there. And by the way, he just looks so cool in the football field. Like, I I hate single numbers on non-quarterbacks and kickers. Boy, he looks sick in number seven. And then the defensive line, too. I mean, Kenny Clark's got help. He's got legitimate help, whether it is Devontae Wyatt or Jaron Reed on one side, plus Dean Lowry on the other. That's the best defensive line the Packers have had in a long time, plus the edge guys didn't even get to them. So I think this group is going to be really good this year, even with the concerns about the depth. I just wonder, are they going to be able to hit the ground running in week one because it is largely the same group as last year? Or might it take a week or two for them to get going? But I think it's easy to feel optimistic about it either way. No, I think it is optimistic. I, th- I th- Man, you mentioned like Quay Walker. Like I'm super geeked up for him to just ball out and see what they can do and put him in there. I think it's going to take – I don't think it'll take too much for it to gel. I think we saw that last year with Joe Barry. There were times where it was a little bit inconsistent on certain aspects of the game, but I feel like there hasn't been that much turnover this year. Z gone, I think, is one. Adding a depth player to the inside linebacker is important. But really, I mean, if any – if they can stay a little bit healthier than they were last year, they were, they were really banged up last year, man. Like there was a lot of key players that were tweaked. And I think they were able to put it together each and every week. I don't see why they shouldn't be able to gel this year. Like I just coming into it, I think it's going to be just a, and everything we saw too, like completely changed my train. I thought everything we saw in training camp, 
they were dominating, right? And even in preseason, generally doing really, really well with those starters. I mean, the lack of starters out there, but even the young guys that were playing, like Quay Walker was flying around the football. Like that's, I'm going to keep bringing him up because I can't wait to see him on that defense. Um, I think it gels a lot sooner than it, we've seen from last year. There's no reason I don't think that it should come along quicker. And I think too, I sort of glossed over this when I mentioned it a moment ago, but the fact that this is largely the same group, I think really helps. I mean, Lowry and Clark have played together for years now, and they should have the communication. I don't know if they necessarily have that sixth sense ESP kind of thing as teammates on the defensive line, but they should know the actions, the ticks, the the specialties or the specifics of how the other one plays. I think that's definitely going to help. The secondary, I think, is where you're going to see this in action the most because you've had some level of time playing with one another in real game action with Douglas and Stokes and Alexander and Savage and Amos. I mean, they've all played together before. And look, man, if your weak link on your defense is Darnell Savage, Jaron Reed, I mean, if, if that's your weakest point of the defense, you should be great. And I don't just mean good. I mean, great. And there are a handful of people, again, from a national perspective. I know Derek Klassen from Football Outsiders has been on this. Um, a handful of other folks. I, I want to say Nate Tice at The Athletic, too. Uh, it might have been someone else at The Athletic. But there are a lot of national folks who say, hey, this unit is going to be good. They're going to have a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. I think it's a bigger test in week one than it will be in week two. I know the Bears also have a different offense, but it's an offense the Packers are going to be familiar with because it's Luke Getze, the former wide receivers coach, who's, who's running it. And also, it's the Bears, and I don't really think the Bears are going to be any decent. We'll get to Minnesota in particular here in a few, but I mean, what does it take, Matt, this season for you to feel really different one way or the other about this defense? Because we don't, we both feel optimistic about them. Do you think you'll feel that way, let's say, you know, first three weeks of the season, get through Minnesota, Chicago, and Tampa, and it's okay. Like, the unit's not great, but it's okay. Do you think you'll still feel, yes, they're going to come around, they're going to have that happy learned how to putt moment, they're going to blow up? Eventually, would that make you feel a little more pessimistic that, okay, maybe this isn't going to be a great unit, maybe it's just going to be okay? Is there anything that is going to change your mind on that? Would you give your full trust to this team for half a season, the full season, right off the bat? So I think the two things, and they're they're very comparable to each other, and they're going to align with what my point is here. I think through those first three games, you mentioned Minnesota, Chicago, and Tampa Bay, all with, I would say, subpar offensive lines. We talked about that on the uh, the kickoff show, right? Like Bucks got a banged up offensive line right now. Bears probably the worst offensive, one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year. They've added some pieces, so you can't say it's going to be all shitty. But at the end of the day, like how quick of a turnaround can it happen right now and the Vikings I feel like are always going through issues at offensive line I just feel like that's a constant issue with them and I it's it's never great so I say that all in reference to that it should be easier for them to get a pass rush this year and I think that's been one of the biggest problems in the past recently is you have these great defensive backers they can't cover for forever and at the end of, if you can't get up if I can't see some stats of like sacks or even just um pressures like that's going to be a problem i'm going to want to see some of the in that box score like defensive pressures defensive sacks stuff like that like that's going to be important for me to understand where this team is going because schematically you can make that all work right like that's that's fine but if you can't schematically draw up a couple of blitzes or get some guys that are i mean truthfully some savages out there between smith and Rayshon Gary, they got some other guys coming along. Like, I, if you can't get after the passer with all these guys they've kept and they really didn't bring in a ton of guys, like, that must tell you that they feel pretty confident to be able to rush the passer. And if they can't do that 
and we're not seeing the stat sheet filled up the way we need to. Like that's that's gonna be my level of concern because everything else can can fit that together, right? Like you can get you can figure out how to play with Razul, Stokes, and Jair. That's really hasn't been a thing yet. So like they can figure this out how to make it happen. And I think with the linebackers in the middle, it's gonna be easy to put guys in spots where they need to be, right? It's whether it's a specialty guy, you know, just Quay's a, a you know a blitzer, a coverage guy, and Chris Barnes maybe more of the run stopper. Devondre's your utility. Like I. I think if you don't see the pass rush dominating early on, that's going to be some, not even dominating, like just if they can't get after Kirk Cousins, keep Justin Fields in the pocket and get after Tom Brady in some capacity, which I know is very tough with this quick release, it's, I'm going to be a little concerned by uh, week four. Before we get to the specific matchups and in particular Minnesota here in just a moment, one prediction for you. It's week one, but it's obviously prediction season for, for everybody. Right now, if you had to predict or prognosticate where the Packers finish, 1 through 32 ranking of defenses. And you can use whatever kind of qualifications you want, total defense, scoring defense, DVOA, whatever. If you had to predict right now where the Packers defense finishes 1 through 32 in the 2022 season, what would you say? I'm going to say 6. Number 6. It's a good number. I think it's – there's a lot of damn good defenses, man. Like, I, th- I think the Rams are still solid. Bills are a hell of a defense. The Chargers are going to be absolutely insane. On paper, they look great if they can stay healthy, which I know has been the bugaboo for that team and specifically that defense the last couple of years. Like, I feel like those three are already up there. I knew New Orleans is usually pretty nasty. San Fran can get after it. Like, there's a, there's a ton of good defenses in this league, man. And I think for it all to come together in the first year and really it's a kind of a different – it's not a different scheme. It's just like you don't have the reliability of Zadarius to make a play, and you're you're trying to figure out how can Quay Walker probably get on the field. And you have all these front seven guys. It's like how do we get these, you know, from J. Ron Reed, like we already mentioned, T.J. Slate, and like how can we get these guys on the field and get in the right spots? And I think getting that secondary right will be tough. And they're they're just, I don't think they're gonna necessarily have a a, a huge banging year in the first year with all these new guys a couple new guys and some pieces that are finally playing with each other like Jair like I mentioned so I think six is a pretty acceptable and I think we would as fans be absolutely ecstatic with six anything top 10 would be a blessing yeah that's actually a really good number and shout out to you because that's probably about the the perfect spot I would hope for now do they have the potential to be a top five defense in the league yes I really do Mm -hmm. think so with that kind of talent I really do think they've got that potential would it shock me if they slid closer to 10 ish no it really wouldn't I mean if you look at just a couple of basic stats from last season this defense gave up the third most rushing yards per attempt in the NFL last season it takes a lot to reverse that I mean you need better defensive line play you need better linebacker play you need your edges to contain well that's going to take a a stark change again third worst in yards allowed per opponent rush last season you just look at turnovers look at interceptions which are as interceptions are one of the most volatile stats out there. Packers were sixth in the NFL last season in, in interceptions with 18. That's not an outlandish number where you say, oh my God, there's no chance they can repeat that. You know what? That's not Trevon Diggs picking off 11 passes, right? And you say, okay, there's no way he even gets close to that a second season in a row. I don't think it's that crazy of a number for the Packers, but also would it surprise you if that number was closer to 10 again, just because that's such a volatile stat and takeaways are such a volatile stat. No, that wouldn't really surprise me all that much either. So I think anywhere from six to 10 or so would be the ideal range with a peak somewhere in the top five, just because they've got that kind of defense. So I think we're pretty much on the same page with that. I'm excited, man. This is again, the most talented defensive group the Packers have had in a long time. And Mm -hmm. you can look at every single level, 
defensive line, interior linebackers, edge rushers, safeties, corners, and see at least something to like and something to get excited about. And we haven't been able to say that about more than a player or two on this Packer defense in a really long time. But you mentioned how this group is going to match up against Minnesota in particular. And I'm I'm actually fascinated by this Minnesota team. Not something I would normally say about anything Vikings related, but I do think it's interesting both the personnel they have and the new coaching staff. And offensively, that is where you're, I think you're going to see this the most. Although you could also argue the defense is going to change a lot too. Mike Zimmer called that defense and called it well for a really long time. We've heard the quotes from Aaron Rodgers about how that was always his hardest matchups because Zimmer knew what to throw at Aaron Rodgers to get him off balance and to get him off his game and to challenge the Packer offense. He had been doing that since 2014 and had been doing it really well. So that's going to be a change. This is going to be very similar to the Rams offense. Now that what Uh Minnesota is going to do, which in turn has a lot of similarities to what the Packers do. I do know Paul Allen, the, the voice of the Vikings who, you know, whatever with Paul Allen, but he had some commentary the other day. Uh, on his radio show in Minneapolis about all these reasons why the Vikings are going to beat the Packers and how the Packers have no idea what the Vikings are going to run. Apparently unaware that the Packers have played the Rams a bunch recently and have seen Kevin O'Connell running an offense as recently as last season. In fact, late last season. So I don't know what he's talking about with that. I am curious to what the personnel are going to look like. You mentioned their offensive line is just a group I'm never going to trust until they give me a reason to trust them. You can tell me Every single year, their offensive line's better. They got more pieces. They're going to be better in that regard. Okay, sick. They are still a bottom half of the league offensive line seemingly year after year after year. So I'm not going to trust that until I actually see it. Now, zone blocking scheme usually helps the offensive line. That is more of a a foolproof offensive line scheme. Not in all cases, but just generally speaking. Dalvin Cook is obviously a weapon and has had some big games against the Packers in the past before. I'm really curious what this team is going to look like. And Is this something that can – I hate using this phrase because it's going to sound like I'm some sort of non-Packers hot take artist, but, like, does this unlock something in Kirk Cousins? I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is good. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, an MVP candidate or anything, but will this maybe turn him from, you know, Derek Carr in a plexiglass box to a top 10-ish quarterback in the league? I'm I'm just curious. That's more than anything. I just don't know what exactly it will look like which I think makes this a somewhat difficult matchup for Green Bay, both offensively and defensively. It's going to be a wild week one, I think, because not a lot of people are probably ready to see the offense that is the Vikings with Kirk Cousins, but particularly Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson, right? And like Kevin O'Connell actually using those guys, their full potential and Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson, you don't really have to scheme up too much for them. Like truly, like they can get theirs. They're what they are actually a unique tandem that not many teams even have one of those guys, but a guy that can on a single play break a game open by a 74 yard run or an 80 yard plus catch and score a touchdown. So that's, that's interesting to see that he's going to be in those guys are going to be in the hands of Kevin O'Connell um, to really probably to, to tell based off of what I know, if Kevin O'Connell is a quarterback whisperer, but I know he's way, way, way better at uh, communicating uh, whether he's whispering or yelling than Mike Zimmer is with his quarterback. There's just no chance that Mike Zimmer is a better offensive schemer than Kevin O'Connell, et cetera. And no offensive coordinator that the the Vikings have had, have I ever been very like, you know, afraid of in any sense of the word. So I think the offense is going to be, it's going to be really interesting to watch. That's, that's going to be really fun because that's what I expect the, the defense. That's what I'm most excited for right away. Right. I mean, I'm kind of fascinated to see how they're going to use the offense, particularly for the Packers, like I mentioned, but 
I think to see that defense with all this athleticism and the way that the Vikings are set up for to move the ball um, is crucial. I'm, I'm, I can't wait until the first play until we're like, oh, that's from Sean McVay's playbook, or I should say Kevin O'Connell's old playbook for the Rams. Like you're going to see a play early on, whether it's a you know an underneath route like Cooper Cup would run, and they're having Adam Thielen run it, or some deep shot that they would normally take to Van Jefferson, or you know Deshaun Jackson, whoever's there at their their speed spot. Like it's going to be. I'm interested. It's very, very. I mean, it's it's very cool. It's a tough matchup, though. Um, I think it's the other side of the ball. Like their defense is kind of a hodgepodge, really. Like if you go through it and look, like they've just they don't have the same guys that they used to. Like truly, when it came down to like they don't have Anthony Barr anymore. Harrison Smith's getting long in the tooth. Trey Trey Wayne's isn't there obviously anymore. They've kind of turned the page on some um, secondary picks that haven't really gone out too well it's just a different defense than we're you're normally seeing for the Packers. Eric Kendrick's still there. They brought him back um, or he re-signed one of the two, but that front, that front four even just, or the front three is just like completely flipped. There's no one that you even kind of remember anymore there. I think that defense is going to struggle this year a ton. It was pretty shitty last year. I don't see why it would be much better this year. I, I think it's going to be in a tough spot, especially in that secondary. Like it's, it's, it's questionable back in, back in the, uh, the Vikings secondary. I think you're spot on talking about this Minnesota defense. I mean, Zadarius Smith's going to be fired up for this game. I don't know how much – sound like I'm calling him totally washed. I don't know how much he has left in the tank. Guys don't come back 100% from back injuries all that often. I, I've said this, I think, either last week or within the last couple of weeks, and it's it's an old saying, but you don't – no one had a bad back. You have a bad back. It's just a matter of you know preserving it as best as you can. I don't know how much Z has left in the tank at this point in his career. Now, I'm sure he's going to be charged up, and if he can only give 100% in one game, you know it is going to be this game to open the season. So that's obviously an additional piece for them. Patrick Peterson is not who he was at his peak, though. By the way, ESPN's depth chart right now, and I haven't seen if Minnesota has unveiled a an official depth chart at this point. You know who the backup for Patrick Peterson is right now? Is it Shandon Sullivan by chance? It is Shandon Sullivan. Okay, so I'm not like, look, I like I like Shandon Sullivan. I like him as CB five well enough. But okay, if if you get that guy out there as your third corner in a nickel package or in a dime package, I'm not feeling all that scared. Linebacker core again, Kendrick's a little bit long in the tooth. Defensive line, the the interior three that doesn't worry me a whole lot. So I'm right there with you defensively offensively that's where I think my most interested or where the matchup that I'm most interested in lies and I think it's going to be an interesting chess match between Joe Barry and Kevin O'Connell in terms of making sure the Packers best defenders are matched up with the Vikings best players and, and that's a no duh thing right I mean football when you're scheming it up you want to get your best players the ball and get them in space as much as possible I know that there has been talk about putting Justin Jefferson in the quote-unquote Cooper Cup role within this Minnesota offense because that's what, obviously, Kevin O'Connell is used to. He had an elite receiver with him in Los Angeles. I think Justin Jefferson's more talented, just naturally gifted than Cooper Cup, and that's not a slight of Cooper Cup. He's obviously an incredible receiver, top two in the NFL, I think. But, I mean, Justin Jefferson is built like he might be the best wide receiver in the NFL in the near future. I mean, he might already be a top five player in that regard. I know that a lot of folks are betting on him to lead the NFL in various receiving categories, especially with this new offense. What does Joe Barry do to counter that? Do you have Jair Alexander following him the entire game? Do you just shadow him with Jair? Because we know Jock can play inside, outside, left, right. That's not a concern. Do you just play the matchups and, hey, 
Jair is in the slot and we know Justin Jefferson's going to play there more, but if he goes to the outside, okay, well then Jaw's not on him. That is Rasul Douglas or that is Eric Stokes. I'm just very curious what that matchup is going to be. Thielen is still a good player, but he's, He's not what he was a few years ago because injuries have caught up to him. Just age has caught up to him. But he, he's still a good player. He's still a high-end wide receiver, too. I don't know if Irv Smith's going to play. I still don't really know if we know what Irv Smith's going to be. They lose B.C. Johnson probably for the year with what looks to be a torn ACL. That's obviously tough for him. That's the biggest matchup to me, though, Matt, for this game, is what do the Packers do to try to erase Justin Jefferson? He's good enough. You probably can't take him out of the game completely. But what do you do to eliminate him? You you might not be able to eliminate him, but can you contain him? That's, I think, the most interesting matchup for me in this game. What would that be for you? And it, it could be on either side of the ball. I love what you're talking about, too, with like, I think, yeah, his, he, Justin Jefferson can be either schemed to get open or he can just go get his regardless. And I, one thing I've learned from the last couple of years of doing this and just looking at matchups is I never – Never want to say like Jair is going to follow Justin Jefferson throughout an entire game because I feel like anytime I make those takes, whether it's Kevin King following Adam Thielen or whoever that whatever the matchup could have been over the past, I just feel like I never get that right. And with the talent they have at corner this year, I just don't feel like that makes a ton of sense. But that could it could be a way to slow him down or limit him. The matchup that I'm truly interested in is it's really lame. It's super lame. Like it's the lamest. It's the it's the worst. It's probably the worst example of something you've asked me is Zadarius Smith versus the the tackles. I think that's interesting. I like I think that is a very interesting match. But it's so lame. It's so low hanging. Like oh, he used to play for them. He's gonna really try to get okay, low hanging the guys. Sure. It's low hanging and like it, truly though, it's it's nuts because based off of what we should expect off the offensive line where the injuries are. We started the show with Bakhtiari right, and we discussed him. And if he doesn't go, like. What do the tackles look like? They're going to try to probably exploit them. Like, I know Yash Nijman's pretty solid. He's been pretty formidable for us, but I don't like a matchup between him and Zadarius Smith because Zadarius Smith has seen this kid basically come into the league, and he knows his weaknesses, I'm sure, and can able to exploit them and go after him. So that's the one that I'm going to look at. I If there was a scenario where you could say, yes, 60 minutes of football, Justin Jefferson v. Jair Alexander, I mean, that's – you pay you pay admission for that. That's that's going to be a hell of a matchup. So from the defensive side, that's that's one I like. On the offensive side too, um, man, offense is really just going to be. I'm going to say like the trenches. Honestly, it's going to be if they can move the big bodies around the Packer big bodies. Can they move the defensive linemen of the Vikings and get some running holes for AJ Dillon, uh, Aaron Jones? More than likely, going to have to rely on both those guys. Um, it, it's it's usually pretty freaking loud in US Bank Stadium better off to be running the ball than you know four wide two on each side and you're trying to do hand checks and audible noises and stuff and try to, it's sometimes easier just to pound the freaking ball shut the shut them up with a 11 12 play drive so that's another one so mostly everything has to do with trenches and the Packers offensive line I think that matchup is really interesting though honestly and sure low hanging maybe but I do think if Zadarius Smith is playing as well as we know he can play, if he's playing at the peak of his powers, which we know is game-changing, game-wrecking kind of talent, what do you do to counteract that? If you're getting him lined up on Yash Nyman every play, how do you counteract that? Do you just say, hey, that's on the right side. This offense is going left all game. We are going to the left. That is what we're going to do. We're going to just keep the ball away from that side of the field. Okay, that's one option. Do you play a lot of big dog in this game? Does Mercedes Lewis come in and essentially be your sixth offensive lineman? I know 
teams don't always love to do that in a lot of situations. And we, we being Packers fans have talked for a couple of years. Well, just bring in Mercedes Lewis, help out blocking. Well, then you're changing up what the pass catchers are doing. You're taking an extra guy who can't go run a pattern, who can't do something else. You can't do that on every single play, or at least you wouldn't expect them to. But maybe we see a little bit more of that to help out Yash to take out Zadarius Smith. So I, I really do think this is an interesting coaching matchup and scheme matchup just because we don't know exactly what to expect from this Minnesota team, which I think the Packers are going to win, but I think that adds uh, a level of excitement to this. Speaking of winning, we'll get to significant to some here in a moment. We're going to get our first spread and over under total picks of the year. Every year or every week, we're going to be looking ahead. We're going to get the early line, the open line, tell you what to look for in the game coming up. But before we get there, I, I feel like I have to ask this question. I am not saying, Matt, that it is something that I am necessarily worried about. But I am just curious, do you have any worry, any concern? This is essentially the are you concerned edition of the final dump. Do you have any worries that given some injuries, you know, Lazard, the offensive line, Christian Watson, et cetera, given those injuries, given the fact that the starters, again, did not play in the preseason, do you have any worry that maybe there's a chance there's a repeat of week one from last season? Yeah. Definitely. Like there's, there's definitely some concern there in my head for that because it's a decent team. I mean, you don't have to go up against some crazy travel like they had to do last year. Right. It was, you know, playing down in Jacksonville and it's just, it was nasty. It was, it was, but, game wasn't, but, I almost forgot that game was in Jacksonville. So stupid. Just the dumbest, dumbest shit. It didn't make sense. And I think, you know, us banks, not an easy place to play either. Um, there's there's always concern because week one you have all these expectations right like if this defense can be what we think it is a, a top 10 top five potential defense like and now they just come out and lay an egg like that's there's a chance that Kevin O'Connell's got some tape on some of these guys that he can he can go into his bag and scheme up some stuff for these offensive players and there's there's a chance I mean I, I truly I'm not as concerned so I don't think the weather or the the late I mean the late second, you know, travel adjustments and whatnot. I mean, that's an excuse. Both teams kind of had to go through that. But unless somehow, for some reason, a second Minnesota Vikings stadium collapses, you know, albeit a torrential downpour or something to that effect, um, I don't think the game will be moved by any means. But I'm, I'm definitely concerned. I want to say it's like probably a three or a four. There's some, there's some you know, uneasiness there just because you don't know what it's going to look like. It's probably going to take a little bit for the offense to get in rhythm. It usually does. I mean, I – I hate that, and it's people say that it doesn't. I think it does. It really does. It just get gets synced up, and sometimes there's a couple of drives where you go three and out right away, four or five plays, get a first down, and it's ended by a, a penalty or whatever. I just think it's going to take a little bit of time, and the Vikings are – it's still tough to play in U.S. Bank Stadium. I won't hold that against them at all because that's a tough place to play, but there's some concern for me. What about you? So the rational part of me says there's a little concern, but not a whole lot, because I think a good coaching staff, veteran players, a team that is largely together from last year, they're able to say, look, we totally screwed the pooch last year. We were in a bad situation. We all played terribly. Preparation wasn't great. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that's not the case in 2022 like it was in 2021. They'll get the kinks worked out. That's mostly how I feel. There's also a part of me that says if you look to recent years and honestly not even that recently, like you can go back several years, the Packers have not played especially well coming out of long breaks and long lulls. I mean, look at week one last season is a great example of that. And you make a good point, Matt. There were extenuating circumstances then, too, but they came out and they sucked. They looked mm -hmm. awful. I don't remember what the stat is, and I, I wish I had it up in front of me. I know I knew it off the top of my head at one point. 
the Packers record after bye weeks in the last decade is dreadful. It is horrible. I don't know if they even have one within the last six or seven years. And again, I, I should have pulled this stat up, but they've been horrible after these breaks. And I don't really know why that is. And I'll throw in the postseason last year, right? You get a first round bye, you get that divisional game and came out and sucked. And it was one of the worst games of the year, probably the second worst game of the entire season, only after you guessed it week one. So there is a part of me that says, why do the Packers keep doing this? Why is this a year after year thing? Is that going to continue or will this be the year that it's broken? I don't know. It's a tough matchup. It's a tough place to play all of that. So I'm with you. I, I think there's slight reason for concern, but I think generally speaking, Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, this entire team, they've earned the benefit of the doubt that, Hey, if there's an error, they will get it fixed at least at some point. So I will, I will be optimistic. There's no blowout on the table. Again, I already told you who I think is going to come out victorious in this game, but I just hope that a, we're not wrong for week one again, because we both said going into week one last year. Oh yeah. Packers are going to cruise in this game. The, the saints, no drew Bree. Oh, pff, they're going to suck. And then it was, in absolute drubbing. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen again. I'm not quite as overly confident for this matchup against the Vikings on Sunday this week, but I do feel like there's slight concern, but at least enough reason to give the benefit of the doubt to the staff and to the players that have been around for so long and went through that absolute disaster to open up the 2021 season. All right, Matt, we've been talking about the game. We're talking about the Vikings, health, offensive line. We didn't get to special teams, so we maybe missed out on one last Matt Freyla grant today, but it is time for my favorite segment, for your favorite segment, for all of our favorite segment. That's right. It is significant to some Big D and... Matt Freilich's Gambling Corner. I don't know if I ever told you that my old radio nickname was Big D. I'm not sure if I ever shared that with you. But Makes sense. I can see it. I, I was DJ Big D. When you've got a 12-letter last name that starts with a D and has a bunch of Zs, <laughs> you get nicknames like that. So it is our, our Gambling Corner, our gambling segment. We're looking at the spreads. By the way, shout out Laura Kelly. Thanks for legal gambling in Kansas. Now, we will take a look at the spread and the total for the upcoming Packers game. And because our show is now on and released early in the week, we'll get the early line. We'll get to tell you what to look for in this game coming up. So, Matt, let's get to the total first here before we get our official pick for the game. Last I checked, the consensus over-under total, 48 and a half points. That is a tough number right off the bat. Where are you siding with the over-under? I was actually going through before you were setting this up, and I want to see some totals recently from the Packers. Now, Packers, Vikings, last four matchups, they've smashed They've smashed that. It's gone over I, – I shouldn't say the last matchup, it was 10 to 37. So they missed it by one point. But based off some recent history, you would say that they – you know, it's going to go over from 48, although albeit week one. Um, I'm going to say over just because it's in Minnesota. Going back even historically here, that doesn't really make a whole hell of a difference because even in a uh, – you know, it would have been – Jan or excuse me, November 1st, 2020, they scored a combined 50 points in Green Bay in November. So it's like, I don't think the indoor outer makes a whole hell of a difference. Uh, I'm going to go over. I know it seems kind of crazy, but I just think the way the Packers are going to need to move the football to stay up with the Vikings. I think the Vikings are able to score some points. Um, I'm going to say over, even though that is such a big number, the 48 and a half is, is quite large, but I think it's, I think it's achievable and it's not that crazy based off of what I think the capacity of these, both these teams are. 
This is really hard. I wanted to say under, and my initial thought was, oh, under, because the Packers offense is probably going to have some kinks to work out. Minnesota's got a brand new offense, something that Kirk Cousins has a level of familiarity with. I mean, he did play for Kyle Shanahan when he was in Washington, so he's got some level of familiarity with the basic concepts here, and he found a lot of success doing that in Washington. I mean, there's a reason that he was a two-time franchise tag recipient with Washington and why he's gotten multiple big contracts from Minnesota. And it goes back to those days when he was running a similar or at least reminiscent system to what Kevin O'Connell is going to do with the Vikings now. They're going to put up some points. I still trust that the Packers will score because their quarterback is still Aaron Rodgers. Packers defense should be really good. I don't know exactly what to expect from Minnesota's defense, even though I don't really love the talent. I will lean over with you, Matt. I, man, I don't know. My initial gut and my decision after thinking about it for a couple of hours, a couple of days even at this point, they're, they're so far on opposite ends of the spectrum. But I'll join you. I'll go with the over. And that brings us to our picks for the game. Spread as of Monday's live show, Packers favored by one and a half on the road in Minneapolis against the Vikings. I'll go first here, Matt. I like that number for the Packers, and I like that to be a win. I mean, even if the Packers don't have a great game offensively, I think the defense should be able to do enough to at least make a play or two to get an interception, to get a key fumble, whatever it might end up being. Sat Cousins a time or two because neither of us has a whole lot of faith in that offensive line for Minnesota. I like the Packers. I like them to cover that. Maybe not by much. I'll say since the offense, again, will have some kinks to work out, Give me Packers 27, Vikings 24. It's a road game. That's always tough. It is extremely hard to win in the NFL. Let's not forget that. I will say Packers cover. They win by three, 27-24. I think that one and a half is just so – it makes it so easy, I feel like, to to bet on the Packers. Like, it just seems so simple to bet there. Now, granted, anytime you get points for a home team, it's you kind of want to consider that, look into that with some actual consideration. Week one, you think it would be a little bit – Maybe a closer game, one and a half points could swing it for you either way. But I'm going Packers minus one and a half. I feel very confident in that. I like your score quite a bit. I'm going to go 28-24 just to kind of get one point off. But I do think it'll be a, a higher scoring game as such. And it's going to be – I mean, if I'd be shocked if the Vikings don't score three touchdowns. Like, that just seems like they're absolutely going to score three touchdowns, whether it be set up by a special teams blunder by the Packers – a defensive maybe play. I think they do have some guys that can still make some plays for that defense. Um, and just, I think, like, keeping Cook or Jefferson out of the end zone more than once seems almost impossible. Like, I feel like they're guaranteed 14 points just right away. Now, granted, Rodgers, you can kind of put a stamp on there that he's going to get some points pretty simply. But, um, yeah, I like the Packers minus one and a half, and I like the over and prediction very similar to yours, which, you know, copycat league, 28-24. This is very uh, prices right. One higher. One dollar, Bob. I, I mean, 20, 20, 26 is just a too strange of a number for a football score. So I got to go 28. That's fair. I'll, to be fair, Packers Vikings has definitely been pretty weird uh, and have had plenty of weird contests over the year. That's it. That is our first significant to some of the 2022 season. Matt and I on the same page. We both like Packers minus one and a half, and we both like over 
48 and a half points for Sunday's game. It'll be at U.S. Bank Stadium. It's going to be the game of the day on Fox. So the whole country pretty much is going to see this one. I can't wait for it, Matt. I know you can't as well. Real football finally here. We don't have to give the PSA. Please do not bet on preseason games. No, this is real. I'm not going to stop you, assuming it's legal where you are, to put some uh, to put a shekel or two down on this game. I'm excited for it, Matt. There's nothing quite like rivalry week. Bears, Vikings, doesn't matter who. What a fun way to start off the 2022 season. As I said, short week, too. We're coming in Tuesday. We got a game Thursday, and then you just ride that momentum into the weekend. And then game of the week, 325. I believe it's a new broadcast situation, too. No more Troy Aikman in there. I don't even know who the hell he's next to, but we'll figure that out. We'll, you know, we're all going to get through. There's all going to be new stuff. There's going to be new faces, new names, uh, new, new sounds from the broadcast. So... End of the day, 60 minutes of Vikings v. Packers. Hell of a hell of a rival in U.S. Big Stadium. It'll be fun. I'm excited to see both these teams on the field because it's a new era for them, kind of. And uh, Packers are trying to get over the the hump that they've been over, haven't been able to get over the last uh, couple of years. Can I interest you in a Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson booth? Uh, not the booth I was expecting. Greg Olson hasn't really done it for me over okay. the years, and I try to give the former players a pass. I really, really do. Because it's like you'll take the bad audio and the overreaction to some things to the good analysis. Um, Burkhart, so-so. He's kind of like warm. You know, he's just like a warm glass of water for me. It's solid. It's cool. I'd rather have a little bit colder. Hot would obviously be terrible. We don't want that. We throw that out the window. But uh, not not the matchup I was thinking for the game. But that's okay. That's That's all right. It's going to be weird not having Joe Buck on this game. I, I am a Buck guy. I am a big Joe Buck guy. So it's going to be weird not having him there. But we're excited nonetheless. If you don't like it, well, hit the mute button or just pull up our Twitter feeds and see our reactions to the game as it nice. happens. You can follow Matt at Matt underscore FRA underscore. You can follow myself as well at Brendan DZW. Of course, follow Game on Wisconsin at Game on WI. Check out the Game on Wisconsin Facebook and YouTube channels as well. We cannot wait for this game coming up on Sunday. We'll be recapping it, giving you the final dump of information after the game coming up next Monday on the live stream. So until then, for Matt Fralick, I am Brendan Dworzynski. Thank you for listening to the NFL season 2022 week one edition of the final dump. We'll talk to you next week. Well, Wayne, I think this is one that Vince Lombardi and George Hallis would be proud of. You could have given me a touchdown. That is hard to overturn. You know what I mean? I understand. That's that. a good effort, Richard, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's a pretty good effort.